here's a little surprise symphony. Wasn't it uh, Haydn's 94th? I think it's episode 97. And I call it a surprise symphony because I had uh, determined to uh, hold my peace for about three weeks, and indeed I will, but uh, I was so uh, possessed of a thought that I thought I'd uh, present it and uh, offer it while the um, iron is hot. And uh, it really uh, comes from uh, what I was saying the other day about a different different kind of vocation, and uh, I've received some fabulous feedback from some listeners, really interesting and thoughtful. And for me, very helpful feedback. And remember, it's pzspodcast at gmail.com. That's P-Z-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com without an apostrophe. And uh, I hope you'll write me. And uh, the fundamental agreement of some of these letters was that, yes, it's okay not to be the old spokesman, or shall I say the speaker of former truths, true as they are, but to look at some new truths in light of um, some very strong crashing sounds that uh, changed everything. And I'd like to talk a little bit today about what communication might be like for you and for me. Communication in life, whatever form communication takes for you, when it is not really about an ego communicating with or attempting to speak to or become heard by other egos, let's imagine that the ego was dead. Let's imagine that your um, need to speak, that your need to identify, you know, everyone always says uh, this was a defining moment or he defined himself by virtue of such and such or she, she uh, at this particular point, this particular song defined her as that kind of an artist. And um, that's all a crock because uh, no one actually sets out to define themselves. It's only other people who say that you've defined yourself because they need to define you. And um, do we really define ourselves vis-a-vis other defined selves? Well, for me, Natch, the question is no. Uh, I've been doing that for an awful long time. I know all about what it is like to try to express something in order to either meet a need or be heard by or be in some kind of conversation or even polemical controversy with other egos. I know all about that. And I know that it, (coughs) at least from where I'm coming from at this point, it amounts to nothing. As I said earlier, it's uh, almost always latched in with some kind of anger. And it uh, it tends to disappear, this kind of ego against ego, iron sharpens iron, which is a non-truism, it's a falsehood. It disappears when you get sick or when you um, find out that you're dying, and in any event, it uh, kind of has a uh, uh, pale inability to sum up anything. And when you look back at all the sort of ego versus ego situations in your life. They are entirely, seemingly almost on the edge of what was really true. And at, 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 at worst, they were a mammoth distraction. And at best, well, there is no best. At their least damaging, perhaps they least damaged you. But what would it be like to have um, communication that is actually not about an ego? What would that mean? Now, I'm actually getting at something. This particular surprise symphony a little surprise to me, and uh, 
uh, given what I said last time. But it really is uh, coming. I, I am taking a, a, a break here that is mandated, and it's important. Uh, but this is my little surprise symphony because um, what happened was I just happened to uh, take a quick two-minute look at a section of Jacques Demy's 1961 film, Lola. And it's the section... And this is not a podcast about Lola, but Lola was the occasion for it. In Lola, there is a little section. You can find it on YouTube, and if you don't like doing YouTube, then you can find this movie. It's a little expensive now, um, but it is available. And uh, in, uh, Or you can look at this particular section, if you don't mind doing that, on YouTube. This is a section in which the little girl who's 14, Cecile, goes to the fair with the uh, American sailor Frankie. And uh, Frankie has no designs on her. There's nothing remotely uh, inappropriate. Uh, there's nothing remotely uh, um, sort of under the surface and yucky or evil about this. It is a pure scene of a 14-year-old girl in the midst of a purely joyful moment that is entirely uncontaminated. And uh, uh, in this short little scene, uh, the... Um, young sailor who's really in love with, you might say, or infatuated by Lola, who is not this girl, who is a much older woman about his own age, uh, dances. Um, Little uh, Cecile, this lovely 14-year-old teenager, uh, goes to the fair with Frankie. And first they go on uh, bump cars, uh, uh, and that's fun. And then they go on kind of a, kind of a sliding merry-go-round. And then uh, after they go on this merry-go-round, they get off the merry-go-round and uh, sort of walk uh, through a crowd with some gorgeous Bach music behind it in slow-mo. And then they have a little conversation, and he has to get on the train and go with his other sailor buddies back to Nazar and ultimately back to Chicago, Illinois. And she very tearfully and ruefully says goodbye. Now, what is so powerful about this? This is a pure artistic moment, if you see it, and you'll pick it up immediately. It is an absolutely unselfconscious and un, um, didactic moment of pure joy on the part of this young girl who has discovered the characteristic of love. She, she is so pleased she is so heartened. Her entire self is so completely, uh, beautifully affirmed in this innocent encounter with this dear and very kindly, um, but rather offhanded American Yankee sailor. Uh, the look that the little girl has on her face, the way she puts her hair, the way she puts her head on his shoulder, the way she swings her head and her hair, this beautiful mop of hair, turns around in slow motion as he helps her very gallantly off the ride and they walk through the crowd where he says goodbye and goes with his mates to the train station. It is pure joy. It is absolutely purest joy. And uh, it's almost as if she's found out the secret of life, I would say. She's found out the love and uh, beauty and being admired and giving love as a natural response is sort of the secret of life. And she's too young to understand it. She's only 14 and she, she runs home to tell her mother and she immediately smokes a cigarette She at age 14. In, in that She's meant to be naughty. She, she's uh, pumped up and she immediately smokes a cigarette and you can say what you want about that. And uh, 
uh, talks to her mother about it, but doesn't tell her mother everything. And uh, this girl has discovered the secret of life, and she runs home with such vitesse that is pure uh, teenage joy in the very most beautiful sense, and uh, smokes a cigarette and uh, is just at complete happiness and peace. And the power of the thing is that I saw it and I thought, you know, this is communication on the part of Jacques Demy and his team here who made this movie, Lola, in the city of Nantes back in 1960, uh, that is entirely uh, uninvolved with any kind of agenda. It, the creator has completely stepped out of the equation. The beauty of the moment, it's so transcendent. It is generally a transcendent moment of the highest possible nobility and understanding and illuminated insight la lumière and it is so powerful I thought to myself well golly this is exactly what communication really is he's not trying to convince us of anything he's not trying to get us to change he's not trying to to be transformative Uh, there's no uh, cause uh, left right center up down over under sideways down none of that is there this is uh, a it it kind of it's inspiration it's what it's what preachers really at their best are seeking to, you might say, achieve or rather be conduits or vessels for the inspiration above and beyond the person. And the only way this can happen is when the uh, ego, the person who is looking for something from someone else, by definition, the human self has to get out of the way. And actually for artists from time to time, this seems to happen probably more obviously than in many other professions, although I've seen inspired doctors in inspired moments, and I've seen inspired professionals in other moments. Rare, but I have. It's usually when the pure joy of the actual thing itself takes over. I I actually was talking to a lawyer once who actually was interested in the aspect of law, which was his specialty, and he was extremely successful in human terms, but it was overwhelmingly clear at a certain moment in our conversation that this guy is actually interested in this aspect of contract law. he is he is he is interested in it for its own sake. He's not uh, interested in it for some kind of uh, um, remuneration or some kind of um, sort of uh, pat on the back or uh, affirmation that he will receive through his success. And no wonder he uh, went to the high. Uh, sphere of his profession, because he was interested in it for its own sake. Well, let me give you two other examples of this and how it is that that the ego has to get out. And this is why, really, these podcasts, and I ask you to consider your, quote, podcast, your life as podcast, your life as a vehicle of communication. It is always going to be something when it is not at all involved in any kind of... um, something back, even even some kind of response, even some kind of an effect, even some kind of consequence. Now, it's sort of an old, this can sound a little, you know, you know, there is no try, there is only do, from what Yoda and the Empire strikes back, and everybody applauded it. We can say all those things, but we still, there is a lot of try, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, wanting to get something back. But you can honestly tell me that the moments of truth in your life, the few Maybe many, but with most people, it's quite few moments of inspiration have been the most flowing moments. It happens to be true in love and sex, and it happens to be true in friendship and uh, memorial, and it happens to be true in all kinds of human interchanges that are actually valid and real. 
these things are not, in fact, governed by some kind of, as I say, consequentialism or any kind of action consequence thinking at all. They are entirely the matter of inspiration. Let me give you two examples. In uh, 1928, a, a book was published of extremely short plays by Thornton Wilder. I believe it's called The Angel that troubled the waters and other plays. I have the book right here, and it's signed by the author. It was uh, published in, uh, I believe, uh, 1928. I, as a matter of fact, this is what I'm looking at. And the um, the autograph uh, is a wonderful, illustrated, a lengthy autograph with Thornton Wilder. I believe he was in uh, somewhere up in New Hampshire. As a matter of fact, it's, um, I think when he did, he was at a summer colony in New Hampshire. Now, the first play is called Nascuntur Poetae. In other words, poets are born. Nascuntur, Latin, um, uh, third person, plural, passive, uh, are born, if that's the right word, uh, passive. Um, poets are born. And this is uh, a, a short and beautiful play about the birth of a poet, a young boy who discovers through the intervention of a character what it is to know that he is being uh, called to be a poet. He'll still be in the flesh, he'll still be in human form and live life in the world, but the wind, the muse will speak to him as wind in the trees. And it's very powerful. It's an early play of Thornton Wilder. Now, uh, interestingly enough, you can compare that to... Um, Another uh, um, very um, unusual little piece of literature, which I don't possess, although I possess a copy. I, I possess a copy of it, but not the original. It's uh, called. Um, uh, it's I think it's called some putative facts of hard record. Some putative facts of hard record. I don't have it in front of me, but I have a copy of it somewhere by James Gould Cousins, and it is a series of short journal entries in 1922 when he was at Harvard College in which he describes his uh, the way his vocation to become a writer came upon him. Cousins describes in a series of very short and, and really quite unsentimental and very, um, you might say, composed short little young bursts of journal about how the conviction came to him that he would be a writer, was a writer, uh, could not be anything else but a writer. And I do own his passport from that period from 1922, 23. 24. It's behind me in a beautiful, I, I guard it with my life. And in this actual original passport of Cousins, he puts under occupation, he writes, writer, very young man, just recently finished at Harvard. He never received his degree. And uh, isn't it fascinating that these two great writers uh, might much later have uh, had lunch at the Harvard Club together? Because Wilder, at the end of his life, used to go into town and um, uh, he was a member of the century, but he would go to uh, have lunch sometimes and even stay at the Harvard Club uh, sometimes with his sister to see a movie. Uh, and um, Cousins occasionally uh, would have lunch at the Harvard Club before doing something always alone. Um, actually, when uh, Wilder was going in, Cousins was probably down in Florida, but I always laugh when I think about that because... Um, uh, one was the hermit of hermits, and the other was a gregarious, marvelous man with a twinkle in his eye. And yet they both might have passed each other as ships in the night, having lunch at the Harvard Club. Now, I say that because these two uh, pieces of writing both express the fact that Cousins felt that his decision to become a writer was a call and a vocation. He could do no other. So it, it, he, he was, in fact, being um, in the hands of something else, not ego. And the same is true in Wilder's uh, short play, early short play, Nascuntur Poetae. Now, 
what does that say? It says that the, um, the moment that uh, Paul Zoll is trying to get other people to agree with Paul Zoll, or uh, I am connected symbolically with some particular idea or group of ideas or school of thought or something along those lines, at that exact moment, I am... Uh, I'm an ego communicating with uh, other egos and using abstract ideas to sort of enlist other egos in the same abstract symbolic cause, which usually doesn't touch me almost at all. Um, when I got hot under the collar a little um, a week or two ago watching a controversy unfold uh, uh, over the internet news services, um, I realized, you know, does this, does this particular controversy actually touch my life or anyone that I currently am in contact with at all, except symbolically? And the answer was no. I couldn't, I, I, I could not think of a single person that I currently am connected to in a real, regular, normal, even emotional way. I could not think of a single person who was actually affected directly by this particular national controversy. And that was very helpful because, my gosh. Um, so uh, we see in uh, uh, this uh, amazing um, uh, play, which I recommend you read, uh, by Thornton Wilder and this tremendous uh, short burst of young college journal entries. Uh, and you can find a copy of it in the uh, James Gould Cousins Reader, which is costs almost nothing over the Internet. And some original copies were uh, published uh, late in his life. And I think you can occasionally find one at the Strand Bookstore, but they're a little overpriced because there's really no market for that particular item. But they say something about the nature of creativity. And this movie, um, this movie Lola, which was the breakthrough piece for, uh, for Demi is very relevant too. And I might add, you know, you could probably, you, you can name any number of sort of first works by artists or musicians that, uh, that um, are sort of the breakthrough points when they, when somehow they were seized with something, and I think you know exactly what I mean. You, you, you've had this happen in your own life, if only in love, uh, but often in writing or in any kind of creative work that you're doing. And almost everybody does some kind of creative work. It's a cliche, but it's true. Even the you know the people that do 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 that that that. Uh, that do yard work can, in fact, have pride. I can have pride in some particular seemingly absurd little job that I actually sort of enjoy. I mean, like taking out the recyclables. Uh, well, that's not really not a very good example. But everyone can find some form of expression that is not dependent on the remuneration or economic return. And I use economic in terms of whatever form the return takes, sometimes just a feel-good thank you. Um, this is why, you know, so many thank you notes are a joke. I mean, you, you blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you write something out of joy and love, that's one thing. If you write something out of a sense of obligation and guilt, it is to quote the 39 articles of religion in the original um, old uh, Episcopal prayer book. Uh, it is really, um, it's meaningless, uh, albeit worse than meaningless, because it may be out of the worst kind of motives and the most kind of hidden guilts and even anger. Now, uh, Lola is full of moments like this. The conclusion of Lola is beyond powerful in its overwhelming uh, connection with the very deepest nature of human uh, communication, which is love here, love between two individuals. That is 
beyond powerful and beyond affirming. And uh, the same is true in the section I just talked about. And there's at least one other section in the movie. And plus the overall cumulative effect of innumerable little episodes make this uh, movie a absolute catalog of what it is to communicate about the most important things with pure inspiration. And then you add Michel Legrand's music, Roland Cassard's theme, and the theme at the very start, the credit sequence before the Beethoven. Is it the seventh or the sixth? Da 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 Well, you've heard that in the King's Speech, which was very portentous. And here it is very non-portentous, but ultimately, without any didacticism, very portentous, and yet never portentous. The last thing I'll say about Lola, which is so powerful, is that it's really a meditation on providence, an actual specific um, illustrated manual on the nature of providence, of uh, inter, the interposition of chance events, the uh, benign waiting which is rewarded by benign interventions of others whom you have no control over. It is a uh, the rewards of the passive righteousness are. That's a phrase from um, St. Paul and Martin Luther, and it's a phrase about life, the, 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 the righteousness or standing that comes from being passive, the quietness, which seems to elicit a kind of remarkable reaction in life towards other forces over which you have no control whatsoever and can express no action towards. Well, um, Demi's film Lola has three or four uh, instances of the passive righteousness rewarded, and uh, the wider scheme, you might say, of love uh, and life, it is kind of a speculative drama about the nature of reality as personal, ultimate reality, God, being, what we are living in the light of and in relationship with and to. There is a very big idea which is never stated and never even drawn attention to, but the mise-en-scene, and I can give you three examples right off the bit, but that might come down under spoiling. Uh, You see Lola, and you'll see beyond what I've said, uh, a meditation of of really the very most supernal kind of transcendence, and yet never spoken of, entirely non-ego. There's no Jacques Demy in there. There's nobody telling you what to to think, uh, telling you that you should or shouldn't think. You are completely free, frei, you are completely free to take in the expression that is non-action consequence here, uh, and it is the nature of the truest expression. I love this movie because I'm not, no one's, there's no ego there announcing to me something to which I am required to give a response. I can't stand it when people come to me and, I mean, or demand a response. What about you? I mean, do, 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 you like to give a response, don't you? Or you like to say something. You like to offer a point. You like to, to make an intervention or to actually uh, give a gift or, or or write a letter or do something. But when you are, uh, someone sometimes speaks to me and uh, as if, uh, well, you think so, don't you? 
what well, you know you, you know what I mean, don't you? I mean, don't you? Uh, when people sort of press you on that, and I, I may not be like you, maybe some people love it. I, I always feel I'm being sort of pushed when people sort of want me to say something. And yet it's wonderful to actually say something if you have been given something to say. Well, that's my little surprise symphony, episode 97. And um, let's just call it a surprise. And I hope you are surprised by it. And there may even be another one, who knows, before I um, close the book for a few weeks, which I really am doing. I'm not leading you on. Uh, But um, when thoughts occur, they just come like, you know, a wave. Um, And that is really what I crave for... um, all of us, and certainly those whom I care for, that the, it would all come like a wave, time like an ever-rolling stream, but in this case, the wind of the Spirit, like an ever-rolling stream of love, L-U-V. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you, and hugs.